0: Everyone, this is Mike Epstein, and welcome to Speaking of the Arts. I'm really excited for our guest today. We're going to be speaking with the musician, producer, and entrepreneur Mark plotkin In 2007, Mark co-founded a pro musician online social network called Citizen Groove. The following year, the company made a strategic decision to pivot and become a platform for helping music schools screen auditions online and the year after that, Bloomberg Businessweek listed Mark and his co-founders in their, t- in their list of top 25 entrepreneurs. In 2012, Citizen Group was renamed Decision Desk and became a large company as the application grew to helping hundreds of universities with the application process for music and non-music students alike. That same year, Mark made a record with Rebecca Brand, where he recorded over 25 people in different locations. The album was subsequently nominated for a Grammy Award, and in 2013, Mark founded a new company called Wi-Fi Music School, which connects musicians with students through Skype. Last year, Mark sold the company and began focusing uh, more on performing music. He appeared on albums for artists such as Ra Ra Riot and Panama Wedding. Mark, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. When when someone asks you what what do you
1: do, how do you typically respond to that? <laughs> um, it depends on my mood. I can either I can either sort of dodge it or if I actually think they might be interested, I'll answer with sort of the catch-alls of I'm a musician, producer, entrepreneur, um, occasional educator, and uh, and sort of go from there based on what they're interested in. Yeah, very, it has to be sort of be all-encompassing because you're doing so
0: much, I would imagine.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I mean, it's uh, they all, to me, it's it feels sort of like one job because they all sort of serve each other and and they're all very related, at least in my, in my brain they are. But, um, yeah, I mean, depending on, on the audience and, you know, who I'm working with, uh, I can be seen one way or a few ways. Right. Well, I think, you know, speaking from personal experience before
0: I ever thought I would work in the music industry, I thought I would, um, try and be a full-time musician myself. I, I think lots of musicians, Think that they have to choose between uh, being a musician full time or mm-hmm. doing something they dislike full time, so they can essentially be a part time musician. But right. as an entrepreneur, it seems you've been able to pursue the best of both worlds: being a musician full time and also building these companies that are really creating value for a lot of people. Was that sort of a conscious choice when you set out?
1: No, um, <laughs> I think I I think I probably came from the same place. Most uh, young musicians start out with, which is with, which is dreaming of something pretty specific. Which for me was, um, I mean, around the time I was in college, I was in a, a band that was very serious about a band called Miles, um, and uh, and I was also going to school and studying audio recording. That was sort of going to be like my backup thing. And I my you know I definitely dreamt of doing sort of one thing and, and playing and making music, and then sort of each. Each sort of uh, new arm of what I do, whether it's being an entrepreneur, and being a producer, being a songwriter, or an instrumentalist, sort of each each came very organically. So it started out, I just like playing the saxophone. And then it was like, oh, I like singing and playing the guitar. I guess I do both those. Then it was like, oh, I want to record. I guess I'm a producer now. And um, all the way to the point where my friends and I wanted to build uh, a professional social network um, a musicians prof- uh, social network when we were in college and all of a sudden we'd started a company with none of us having planned on doing that and just sort of see where things grow organically seems to be something that's working out pretty well and uh yeah yeah
0: <laughs> yeah so far so good well as i was reading your your bio i noticed something that stood out to me and you it seems like you've basically always approached challenges and goals with this entrepreneurial spirit. And one line in particular um stood out to me when you said, even at 10 years old, I prefer making things rather than work with pre-existing <laughs> systems. And that's a great way to really kind of sum up this mindset that we're talking about. Would you say that's pretty much been true throughout your, your whole life?
1: Yeah, I think that um – um I mean, I, I know myself, and, and I'm I'm even, you know, I'm, I'm almost 30 years old, and even in people I'm meeting my age and older now, it seems like it's pretty common that if you're this kind of person, if you're entrepreneurial or even just within the arts, if you've always been, you know, starting groups and wanting to book your own tours and things like that, that's usually there, like, since birth, I, I find. So I had... Yeah, rather than, you know, wanting to do my assignments, I wanted to make home movies or, uh, you know, messing around with making recordings or, you know, try to learn the instruments around the house. So uh, I think that's always sort of been in me. Definitely.
0: And I want to ask you a lot about the Citizen Groove and the transformation and all that of what, you know, how you guys came to grow. But before we do, um, another thing that stood out to me when I was reading your bio is I, you wrote that. You're you were inspired to play the saxophone after
1: seeing the Simpsons character, Bleeding Gums Murphy. Would you say that's pretty much true? Yeah. Well, that was that was what got me. I don't think I'd ever seen a saxophone um, until that, and then from there, it was it was going to school and and uh, you know hearing the uh, one of the band directors playing it in person, and I was I was just blown away. But it was the the original germ all came from watching too many cartoons as a little kid, so. credit back to him
0: yeah I not to dwell on the subject and I haven't watched the show in years but I do have the sense of um, for whatever it's worth the Simpsons having this connection of course the music they've had huge acts musical acts throughout the whole uh, tenure of the show but also um, there seems to be a a sort of very subtle um, jazz influence throughout the show as well Um, yeah Lisa Simpson's character, but I'm also remembering an episode where Bart Simpson started playing the drums, and they basically in the show had him do um, Take Five, which was <laughs> <It's just> like <laughs> yeah. so random. Now that I think about it, but it's just another example of that music really permeates the show, which I always loved.
1: Oh yeah, and I actually remember um, one of the first CDs I bought, like with my own money, when I was. Probably like early middle school or something was like a Simpsons music c d where it was all the characters like singing songs that they made like springfield themed, but it was all they were all like covers of like very um sort of like niche blues songs and like and some bebop stuff, and yeah, there were definitely some some real music merits behind the scenes in that show, yeah, yeah, pretty cool. so tell yeah. me the story of citizen groove what was it? How did it come about? why did yeah. it ultimately transition to decision desk? So, the the real beginning started in um, I want to say two thousand and seven. It was my sophomore year at college. I was um, and I was in a joint program uh, between the Cleveland Institute of Music and Case Western Reserve University out in Ohio. And myself and my roommate um, John Kniffic, we were sort of coming. We were both musicians, and the the main sort of frustration we had. was dealing with, you know, at the time MySpace was really the only service for musicians, um, to to do anything on the internet, whether it was book a show book a show or just get your music out the fans. And um, you know, from my experience in my band at the time, using its book shows and John's experience just as a he's a pianist getting his music out there, we really thought there could be a better way. So we um we started outlining this system that was based on uh assigning roles and credit much more clearly than um than even sadly it, they still are in most social networks um and that eventually became this citizen groove concept and uh over the the next you know couple of years we, we paired up with um, a computer science student who we were friends with on campus named, uh, Eric Newman. And we actually built out the first version of Citizen Groove, which we invited about a hundred of our musician friends, you know, across the country to start using. People really enjoyed it. And we actually were able to raise a little bit of money around Cleveland for the idea, uh, through a combination of some city grants and, uh, some, you know, sort of traditional angel capital. Um, but the whole time it was really, it really just felt like um another sort of creative side project for all three of us it didn't feel like we were starting a company that was going to you know remotely change our lives or we were going to you know cancel our future plans um of which <laughs> of which mine were to go to New York and work in a studio John's was to go to medical school and uh and Eric I think was going to probably go back to Silicon Valley area where he's from and, and get some fancy job so it, this was it, this was very much not the plan it was it was a for fun thing and then uh really the big there were sort of two big transitions that happened after that um so when we graduated uh we did all end up going separate ways so i i came to new york i started working at um a mastering facility as as my day job at uh, master disc which was actually really great um while i was also playing music and it was about a week into that that we got um a very sizable um angel group investment essentially it, it, the equivalent of a of a, a series a venture capital investment which um this is also this is also mid 2009 at this point so this is after shortly after the financial collapse so th- we have we're surrounded by people telling us that this is pretty once in a lifetime ask this is we're being given you know a, a bunch of money to work full time on this creative project and it's also at a time where no one's getting money for anything that they want money for so sort of um really feeling that uh i guess positive social pressure um we actually all sort of put our other plans on hold and the three of us started working on the company full time um which uh which really just entailed trying to get more musicians using the service and, and developing the product and then the, the sort of last big shift that that turned into the modern era of the company was um you know after uh, a few months working on it full time we really sort of woke up to the idea that professional musicians uh sadly ourselves included really don't pay for anything on the internet so we didn't really have uh really have a working business model even though we we did come up with some you know uh ways to charge and so ra- basically we we realized we have a few months of cash left we can either scrap this whole thing go back to our other plans so the fun little adventure or we could try to see their way to use what we built. Um, and the uh, the real turning point there was I actually went back to Cleveland for a trip and I visited with the president of the Cleveland Institute of Music just because I obviously had connections there from going there. And I was showing him, um, you know, what we had built along with my partners. And, you know, we were like, is there anything this could this could help you solve, any problem this could help you solve? And he opens up this drawer of about a 1,000 CDs and DVDs. And he's like, this is just this month's submission. And we don't really understand. What he's referring to is those are pre-screening CDs that people all over the world have been mailing to school. And this is already in, in the era of you know Google Drive and Dropbox and cloud services. But people were mailing CDs and DVDs. <laughs> um, and you multiply that times all the schools they're applying to, that's a lot of waste and that's a lot of... Um, a lot of money down the drain, and so we had already, you know, created this social network as a way to represent yourself as a musician online. So basically the pitch was, um, you know, if we built a way for for um, kids to submit their content to you and then for you guys to securely review it, could you throw out all these CDs and DVDs? And he was like, hell yeah, and essentially committed to, to buying that version of of what we described in the room, which we did not have. (laughs) And uh, we took a a month and and just really hustled and completely revamped the social network product into this sort of private uh, submission tool for multimedia, which for a school was actually a big deal because at the time most schools, other than those music schools accepting CDs, were only accepting test scores and essays and, you know, application, um, information, nothing with, nothing that would humanize a student. And so, um, that was really the beginning of what we ended up growing the company to do. And it was later, we changed the name to decision desk just to sort of better represent that. And, uh, yeah, they were, they were our first school followed by other schools in the area. And, you know, within a few years we had all the major music schools followed by, uh, lots of other departments on campuses. That's so cool. (laughs) It's a great story. So, um,
0: yeah, I'm, I'm glad you're describing it because when I was kind of doing some prep for our conversation, it didn't occur to me that, and, and I realized from what I was reading that um, the application was much larger than just music auditions. Mm-hmm. But when you say this was a way for uh, applicant or people who screen applicants to really humanize everything and also take advantage of um, other things besides test scores and whatever the main traditional components of a application are, that that's really cool. You can really see the
1: broad applications with it all. Yeah, and I mean the even I the, on the humanizing side, I feel like actually it's the work we're doing outside of the music world that you can almost see it even more. Because I think there's something inherently <laughs> inherently human even about judging other musicians because you you know usually you're Ideally, you're watching them play or you're hearing them play, and and it's not just data on a piece of paper, but for other departments on campus, like a a business school or a medical school, it really just is data. And so to add a video of someone saying, you know, this is why I've always dreamed of uh, studying with this cello teacher, or this is why I've always dreamed of becoming a doctor, suddenly that's really powerful alongside your test scores, you know. Um, So that was that was a big part of the mission. Absolutely, yeah. So before you
0: left the company, I mean, what was it like just sort of before you left? Because
1: mm-hmm.
0: there was the three of you, and then what? Did, how large did it grow before you left?
1: Yeah, terms, so um, yeah, in terms of people was, working there. Yeah, so I, uh, today I think we're at right or uh, just under thirty people uh, working full time on the company. And so yeah, I, I was I was working on it myself full time essentially from mid two thousand nine to beginning of twenty fourteen. Um and at that point I just felt really good about the new the talent that we had brought on and um and I felt like you know after having personally brought on uh, you know our first 100 or so schools that I could add probably a better perspective and give better advice some as someone who's out of the day-to-day so I'm still I'm still an active advisor I talk to a lot of the people in the company um but I just wanted to start working on some other projects but uh yeah we're right around 30 now got it so that's a good transition then into the
0: next venture you did, the Wi Fi school. How did you yeah. sort of get the idea for that and how did you develop did you develop it alone or was it other help on board?
1: Uh I did develop that alone. Um so that was and that was an interesting learning experience uh comparing sort of the two the two projects. So yeah. So Wi Fi music school was actually something I started sort of dreaming about. Um Still, while I was in decision desk for a few years just i I really was interested in this I, so when I was in high school actually i, I taught some uh, saxophone lessons to just kids around my town for for you know pocket money and I always really enjoyed it and um even a few years after college i I thought it various times, like oh it'd be fun to teach them lessons and I'm in New York City, you know there's definitely a market for it, but i didn't really want i didn't really want to like schlep on the subway to go to people's homes and I didn't really want to invite kids over to my small apartment and so i was like oh i'd love to teach over skype and around that time there was was quite a bit of that happening but there wasn't really any umbrella sort of organization vouching for like great music teachers um you know there were there's some other companies like like take lessons is a really big one that do that for a variety of subjects but i wanted to do one that only offered music as sort of proof that we were picking the best people for music Um, and so, uh, yeah, so that was sort of the idea was to have a marketplace for private music lessons over Skype. Um, and then in terms of implementing it, you know, with Decision Desk, I obviously I co-founded it with two friends, which, um, which largely was, was a positive experience and, and the company wouldn't have been built without it. But I was also curious, you know, could I develop an idea I have, um, on my own and what would that be like? I mean, even with music, I don't think I had ever done any solo projects at that point. It had only ever been in bands and, you know, produced with other people. And so I I really wanted to try something on my own. Um, So it took some time and, uh, yeah, got got a basic version of the site built and recruited a lot of great teachers. And we started having uh, probably a couple dozen lessons happening uh, per day towards around the time um, I sold the company last year. And basically the, there was this serendipitous moment for myself where I, I knew that to really grow it in a meaningful way, um, I was either going to have to raise quite a bit of money to do uh, some serious marketing work, um or, uh, or pass it on to someone else. And it just happened that this, uh, this brick and mortar company, a music ed company out in the Midwest was interested in doing something similar at the same time. So I uh, ended up passing it on to them, but they're, they're still growing it and, uh, still still talking to them quite a bit about it. So it ended up being a slightly shorter project, but um, definitely learned a lot doing it. And and what would you say that
0: your experience at Decision Desk in terms of on the business side of things maybe helped you
1: sort of help focus your actions and thinking for for Wi-Fi school? Hmm. Well, Decision Desk, I really think now was my accidental grad school. So I only have a bachelor's in music, (laughs) Um, but I ended up, Decision Desk was my Experience of having to learn so much on the fly, and actually revealed a really major thing about myself that I didn't really ever know or ever put a name on, which was um, this this skill of self-learning and you know, your uh, autodidactism. You know, people call it uh, you know this idea of not relying on a school or um, or a set of mentors always to to teach you things, but you know, with Decision Desk. When it was just the three of us, I had this really interesting situation where after I had helped sort of design the product and and set the vision, really the only thing for me to do day to day wise when we were that small was to get into like sales and business development, which was not something I'd done or had interest in, but someone needed to do it. (laughs) So I ended up just self learning, you know, really all the tactics that you have to you have to use to be successful in that world. Um, And yeah, I mean it's it's probably too many to name but i feel like all the all the startup and and sort of business skills that i i just had to learn on the fly for decision desk um are things i'm still using for whether it's for wi-fi music school or or any new projects um so that's in fact that's like probably the most common piece of advice i give to um people like starting their first entrepreneurial project is like whatever they don't know how to do rather than i think our instinct in in you know american society is like oh well uh, maybe sign up for a course to learn that or, you know, um, try to, you know, read 20 books before you get started. But the best thing is like just jump in and try to figure it out while you're doing it. Um, because it's, it's really, it's really the, the only way you'll, you'll, uh, you'll see things, I think, at the, at the right level.
0: Right. Yeah. I, I'm definitely a big believer in the idea that you should, to the best extent possible, like try and focus on what you're good at. And mm-hmm. I'm saying that as someone who, um, you know, is running this agency and and um, and by nature doing a lot of things that, quite frankly, I don't have as much passion for and, and there's other people out there who are a lot better at some of those things. Mm-hmm. But um, it seems, uh, I don't know, one of the things that always, if I could relate being a musician to running a company, one thing that always really stood out to me as counterintuitive was this idea that as a musician you actually do have to get good at all those things that are you're not good at on your instrument. Like you just mm-hmm. you can't not know how to play a certain scale. I mean, or you can't mm-hmm. not know how to play a certain style of music or whatever. But um, if you put that into the whole of a band, then you could kind of say, well, that's true, but you know, you're also responsible for your own instrument and then we have the bass player, we have the vocalist. So coming together, everybody's focusing on their strengths, mm-hmm. but there's always this, challenge of being an entrepreneur um, to what you're describing is uh, uh, kind of struggling for words here, but, you know, just the idea that you really um, initially are in a position where you are doing things that you're not really good at and then ideally kind of hiring people or outsourcing them or however you want to look at it. Mm -hmm. Um, Did you find some of that to be true with Wi-Fi school since you wanted to take that on alone?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I, I did end up, yeah, I, w- I worked with like a a lot of contractors to help for things that were sort of beyond my skill level or my, or the amount of time I had on my schedule. Um, and I felt, I also felt like that was something I could handle from the management experience that I had at decision desk. So as in the later stages of my time there, you know, I was managing quite a few people and that was also a new skill I was figuring out on the fly and made uh, plenty of mistakes with. Um, but yeah, that was one of the things that, I felt like I got prepped for. Definitely. Well, we've talked a lot about
0: sort of the business side of what you've been working on. Let's talk a little bit about your what you're doing as a musician and some of the current projects that you've got going on. What yeah. are you
1: working on right now? Well, right now I feel like I'm uh I'm entering the second phase of a project that um I guess I guess technically started about two years ago, which is um really my my first solo, although not literally me by myself, but artistically solo musical outing. Um so I I've made lots of records throughout the years, um, both as a songwriter and a musician, but I um I similar I guess in motivation to Wi Fi music school, I wanted to make a musical statement that I felt like was just me. So a couple of years ago I took Um, A batch of songs that I wrote, and I've always um, written, I've usually written songs on the guitar, um, you know, know, saxophones, my main instrument, Um, but I took a group of songs that I wrote on the guitar, and the idea of the the first part of the project was, can we take songs written on something like this or on piano and arrange it for um, a situation that doesn't include any um polyphonic instruments and but still make it very accessible not make it something that's like for musicians only and basically i ended up spending a lot of time arranging these songs for uh drums bass cello french horn trumpet saxophone and vocal um and that ended up being this ep uh called minor faults uh that came out uh about a year and a half ago or so i guess um and yeah, and just been doing, uh, the past year, been doing uh, a series of appearances around that project, which is a whole other new challenge for me of, of having a group that large and and just coordinating, you know, all those people. Um, But that's been really, really fun because the songs are stylistically the kind of thing that fit perfectly well in, you know, like, an indie rock club. But you have the, these audience members that maybe have never seen a French horn before. So that's kind of fun bringing... Um, I think that's sort of bringing, like, my... Conser- academic, like conservatory attitude, into music that's really for everybody. So that's that's been a lot of fun, and uh, now I'm starting to write a new batch of songs for that project, but um, possibly changing up the instrumentation a little bit too. Very very cool. Tell me about your record with Rebecca Brand yeah that was a that was a crazy process um that was a few years back um basically the situation was you know we were starting from a place of a bunch of songs that were had really only existed digitally so it was all in the box compositions and the idea i i really like starting records with like kind of a a crazy idea to shoot for so the idea there was can we take um stuff entirely composed digitally and make it Make a record that's one hundred percent human, um and that's what we ended up doing so uh yeah, it was twenty something musicians um that ended up being on that, and we recorded it. that was also a challenge. I, I think we only recorded a couple things in a studio, everything else was very d i y it was my my laptop and a couple microphones, and just going to musicians' apartments and coming to my apartment and uh just sort of doing it piecemeal, but yeah, that ended up being a really cool record that a a lot of people liked and um yeah, really proud of that one. And it was nominated for a, a Grammy Award, correct? Uh, it, was, it, it was shortlisted for it was shortlisted. The, uh, the Grammys. Yeah, the step right before the nominations. Oh, okay. I'm glad I got them. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Well, who have you been lis- listening to lately that has you really excited in terms of artists? Mm.
1: Um. Lately. Lately, I'm really into sort of a group of artists that, I think are like utilizing a certain, like a certain vibe um, in like the production. So I, I really, I feel like actually the movement sort of started a few years ago with the second Boney Vera record. It really hit me really hard, which is I'm, I'm very interested in like songwriting, meaning, meeting like texture that is in like the classical and jazz world. So that record had like tons of like saxophones and clarinets in the background behind, sort of the singer songwriter in the front. Um, I also love like two found Stevens and the national and, and groups that, that utilize that sound. And that's definitely kind of what I'm drawing from on, on the Meyer art as well. Um, so yeah, I love, in, love artists like that. I also love, um, a lot of like jazz and instrumental music. So, you know, Brad Meldow and, um, you know, Pat Metheny sort of like classics like that too. Yep. All good stuff for sure.
0: Well, um, Maybe to wrap up, are you doing any uh upcoming shows anytime soon that people could check out who are listening?
1: Um, I don't think anything has been officially announced right now, but we will be soon. So maybe just uh if you want to follow my social media or check out markplotkin.com, we'll have it all listed there. But yeah, we're we're in talks with a few festivals and some colleges. Um so yeah, that stuff will be getting announced soon for sure. Sounds great.
0: Well, Mark, Thanks so much for your time today. This has been really, really great. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thanks again.